All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your call to the human race. You, you are our creator. You, you th- through Christ, are our savior. And you call us all. The humble little gifts we have, we exercise these for you. So we have another story today. Let the story do what you need the story to do. And may Jesus be front and center, we pray in his name. Amen. In Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, they tell the story about a Pennsylvania Dutch minister who didn't have his own parish. He went around and filled pulpits. They called it pulpit supply. So he would go around when there was a vacancy and just fill in till the next full-time pastor arrived. One Sunday morning, he took his little boy with him. They're going to... They jumped on the trolley. They rode out of town to a church that needed the supply pastor to be present. As he stepped into the vestibule, we call it the narthex here, he saw a, a box, very noticeable, and it, two words on it, poor box. Now, the man had none of <clears throat> this world's accoutrements and gifts, but he reached into his pocket and pulled out a thin quarter, and he dropped it in the poor box, whereupon he stepped into the sanctuary. The deacons ushered him up front. He led in the service. When the service was over, the deacon came and led him out into the vestibule, and the deacon said, it is our custom in this church that when we have a supply preacher with us, we give him the contents of the poor box. And so the deacon reached over and unlocked the box and tilted it over, and nothing came out except one lonely quarter. He handed it to the minister, and the minister, with a wry smile, put it in his pocket, and he and his boy walked down to the trolley station. And as they were walking, the lad looked up into his father's face, and he asked, he said, Daddy, you would have gotten more out of it if you had put more into it, wouldn't you have? That's a great question. Wouldn't you? I mean, come on. You would have gotten more out of it if you had put more into it. The story of this widow today, widow number two, by the way, in this little mini-series of three, is living proof of that. So let's go. Open your Bible to 2 Kings. We were in 1 Kings last week. Now we're in 2 Kings today, 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, we'll pick it up in verse 1. I'm in the NIV. You didn't bring... Oh, this is such a dramatic story. Grab the Pew Bible. It's page 255 in the Pew Bible if you want to track along. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1, And the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slave. Your servant, my husband, is dead. In 1967, two psychiatrists, Thomas Holmes and Richard Ray, decided to study whether or not stress contributes to illness. They surveyed more than 5,000 medical patients and asked them to say whether they had experienced any of a series of 43 life events in the previous two years. Each event was called a life change unit and had been assigned a different weight. The more events the patient has survived, obviously, the higher the score, and the more heavily weighted the events, the more likely as well for the patient to become ill. The number one life-changing event, you guessed it, weighted 100 by these two psychiatrists, is the death of a spouse. It's the number one. Nothing in human experience significantly impacts and stresses a person's life and health more than the death of his or her spouse. Widows and widowers 
go on living with all the attendant stresses that come with losing your life companion. I cannot imagine what it would be like going through life without my love, my young love, Karen. We just celebrated this, ye- this week our uh, 42nd anniversary. We were children when we got married, so and it's been a joy to share those 42 years. I can't imagine what it would be like. Your servant, my husband, is dead. But, she goes on, and you know that he revered the Lord. He was a member of the school of prophets. And Elijah the prophet, he was our our, uh, hero last week, sort of, the widows of the heroes, heroines. But Elijah the prophet, and now along with his his successor, Elisha, they have essentially restored the worship of, of Israel's God, Yahweh, against the panoply, the backdrop, the dark backdrop of, of Ahab and Jezebel's apostasy. So now these schools of the prophets are flourishing. He was a member. The deceased father, the deceased husband was a worshiper of the true God, reminding us, though we did not need the reminder... That as Harold Kushner put it in his bestseller years ago, why bad things happen to good people? They just do, even today, to widows. And you know, the widow tells the prophet, that he revered the Lord. But she goes on, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slave. Now, ladies and gentlemen, time out, please. This is not an evil creditor. This is, this, this is not a pagan creditor. This is a believer creditor. And by the way, if you're a believer creditor, be as compassionate as you know how to be. But you see, the law of Moses made provision for if you're in over your head, you can actually go into debt to another Israelite. You won't become a slave. You won't become a bondservant, but you'll, be, you'll become what they called a hired servant. Your wages will be used as you work to pay off the accrued debt. So it was a provision. And by the way, as soon as the debt is paid off, you're no longer a hired servant. Or, by by the way, and Athenian law and Roman law did not have this. When the year of Jubilee comes, every 49 to 50 years, all debts are canceled. You're all free. Debt's gone. So this man who has not forced the living husband to pay the debt, he could have, now comes because the breadwinner is gone. And he says, listen, I need those two boys. They'll work around my house. I'll take care of them. But the woman who has already lost her husband cannot, cannot fathom the thought, perish the thought, that I would lose my two boys for a while even. So what am I going to do? She asked the prophet. And I love Elisha. He's so different. He's so different from Elijah. Thunderbolt, firebrand, bushy-bearded Elijah. And here you have probably shorter, bald head Elisha. But he has the heart of a pastor. Elijah was a loner. Elisha just hangs around people through the whole story. And so he looks at her and he asks the pastor the kind of question. Uh, verse 2, Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Hey, lady, lady, what do you want me to do for you? And then he says, I got an idea. Tell me, what do you have in your house? Now, let's hit the pause button right there. Woman, what do you have in your house? She shoots back. Her candor, look at this. What do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing here at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. I used to think that was cooking oil. You know, I got to have some cooking olive oil. I'm wrong. The Hebrew is clear. It is anointing oil. 
You remember when the old, old man prophet Samuel was looking for a king to take place of uh, Saul who didn't turn out? He finds this young shepherd boy and he pours over those dark locks of future King David oil that spilled over his crown and down his, his face. It's anointing oil. She and her husband had been, had been and some, some conclude they, in fact, had a little cottage industry going, pr- producing this aromatic anointing oil because it's a school of the prophets. You need, you need oil. You'll need oil. Come on, stop by our place for just a couple bucks. We'll send you on with some oil. That's all she has left. And by the way, she's been selling it all off. She's been selling it off to try to stave off bankruptcy, but now she has left only one little flask of oil. And you know what Elijah says to her? Yo, that's perfect. That's perfect. Now, listen to what I tell you. Let's do this. And I want you to pause the button right here before we even read the verse. Because this is God. This is so God. Have you noticed that if God has his druthers, he'd rather start off with a little something than with nothing? Now, I understand. We, got my, we, we have our theologian friends across the, the mall here. And they all speak about ex nihilo, which means from out of nothing. I know that God created the earth out of nothing. I know that God created his universe out of nothing. But here's the point. If God had his druthers, he'd prefer to work with what's already in your hand. Yo, Moses, what do you have in your hand? Just a rod. Perfect. You're going to use that rod to set my people free. And boy, it became a hot rod in his hands. Yo, master of ceremony, what do you have? Ah, six empty stone jars in the corner. Oh, perfect. Let the wedding feast go on. We got wine now. Yo, Pete, what do you have in your hand? Ah, just a little fishing line and a hook on the end. Perfect. Put that in the water. When the first fish you catch, open its mouth. You'll have enough money to pay your taxes and mine. Let's go. Ah, yo, Andrew, what do you have? Nothing but five loaves and two fish. Perfect. I can feed 15,000 with that. Give them to me. Have you noticed that God prefers to begin with what you already have? We shall. We disparage what we have and say, oh, man, my, my gifts are nothing. I'm a nobody. I can't, do, I can't do anything. And we are dead wrong. Give me what you have and I'll work a miracle on this planet. Give it to them. Listen to this. this. Desire of ages. I love this. Put this on the screen. By the way, there's a study guide in your bulletin which you'll take home and have all these quotes. Desire of ages. The means in our possession may not seem to be sufficient. But if we will move forward in faith, believing in the all-sufficient power of God, abundant resources will open before us. (laughs) Can you believe that? What a blessed promise for widows. What a blessed promise for all of us desperate souls who, have, who pray the desperate prayer. Dear God, I don't have enough. This little will never be enough. Just give it to me. Next line, same quote. If the work, and I'm inserting the word prayer here. If the prayer be of God, if the work be of God, he himself will provide the means for its accomplishment. He will reward honest, simple reliance upon Him. The little that is wisely and economically used in the service of the Lord of heaven will increase. Isn't that something? Will increase in the very act of imparting it. It grows. (laughs) My. Give the little you have left like the widow last week reminded us. And what was that line? God will take care of you. 
The little you have increases as you give it. Here's one more line from that page, Desire of Ages. If we go to the source of all strength with our hands of faith, look at this, hands of faith outstretched to receive. It's not wrong to go to, in prayer. It's not wrong to go like this in prayer to God. It's not wrong. Some people say you should never ask. Are you crazy? He wants to be asked. It's not wrong. Put your hands out. Your hands of faith outstretched to receive. If we go, we shall be sustained in our work, even under the most forbidding circumstances, and we shall be enabled to give to others the, the bread of life. God not only will take care of you, but through you, he'll take care of the rest. What a God. All right, verse 3. Oh, I have nothing but a little flask of oil. Elisha says, good. Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. And I want you to notice that next line. How's it read? Don't ask for just a few. I mean, come on. That's our problem. Too often, we quit asking too soon. We say, well, I didn't get anything. No more. No, no. Don't ask for just a few. Well, I got a little blessing. No, no. There's more where that came from. Don't ask for just a few. After all, the Bible declares that God is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine. <laughs> why don't you... When in the presence of a king, why don't you ask for the king's gifts? He doesn't give coupons out of weedy cereal. He's got something to give you, but you got to ask him. Don't ask for just a few. Like the widow, are you down to your last nickel? Are you down to your last prayer? Are you down to your last hope? Keep asking. Keep asking. John Newton, he's the one who composed Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Same John Newton. Put the words of his hymn on the screen for you. Thou, oh, I love this. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such none can ever ask too much. Hallelujah. What do you say? Hallelujah. You can never ask too much. Don't ask for just a few. Verse 4. <clears throat> then, after he's given that little uh, lesson, then he, Elisha goes on, <clears throat> go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. <clears throat> Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. Did you catch that? Elisha, the prophet says, yo, I want your kids on this thing. I want your kids in on this thing. Parents, I want you to get that. Too often we think that our adult walk with God is just for between us and God. I mean, come on, kids. You just trust that we're, we're connected to God. And in the process, we subtly send the message that heavy lifting, you can't be a child and do heavy lifting. You got to be an adult. You got to be a grown-up to do heavy lifting. And so we've raised a generation now who even come to this school standing on the sideline saying, I guess I'm too, I guess I'm still too young to do something big for God. We make a terrible mistake, moms and dads, when we leave our children out of the conversation. I would like to suggest even the economic survival conversation. We need to let them know we are calling upon the God of Israel to intervene in our lives. Your faith increases their faith. Your obedience increases their obedience. Why hide it? I want your boys in that room. I don't want you sending them outside. I want them, I want them to watch what happens. Wow. Come, children, she says. Come, come, come. We must pray. 
Oh, I try to picture that moment. I love this picture in my mind. That, that poor young widow mother racing down the hot and dusty road, her dark widow garments flared like an airport windsock behind her. She can hardly wait. She gets in, slams the door. <sighs> Boys, come here. I just talked to the prophet. Now, listen to me very carefully. We are to find every empty jar in this village. Do you understand me? I want you to go to every neighbor's house. I want you to tell them that we'll give the jar back. We just need the jars right now. Do you hear me, boys? Bring as many jars as you can. And wide-eyed, four feet, pound that empty house floor out the door. And minutes later, here they come, two, three, or four jugs each. And mother says, all right, Line these up right here. Line these up right here. Close that door. Close the door. Mother picks up, mother picks up the little flask. Wide-eyed, all three, because mother is watching this too. What is going to happen? All three watch as mother's nervous hand pours out a smooth, shiny stream of anointing oil out of that small flax that she owns into the wide-open mouth of an empty jar on the floor. Quick! Quick, the jar is full. Slide another one in. We, can, we can't waste a drop. And they slide another one under. And mother's hand continues to pour. That little oil flask now is cocked in a perpetual position of pouring. And it just keeps pouring. Hey, mama, will the, will, will, will the, will the oil stop? Shh, don't even ask that. I need more jars. Go. Psh. Boys go while she's finishing up the last jars. They're out. They're hunting down. They come back, arms full again. She's lining them up right here. On they go. Perpetual position of pouring. A few minutes later, boys, I need more jars. Quick, quick, quick. More jars. They go. More jars. You know the drill. That little floor is now covered with jars glistening to their brims with anointing oil. And then verse 6 happens. Verse 6. And when all the jars were full, mother said to her son, her eldest, obviously, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left in this county. And then the oil stopped flowing. And she went, mother did, and told the man of God, and he said, good. Now go, sell the oil and pay your debts you and your sons can live on what is left. Did you catch that, by the way? God not only miraculously provided the resources to pay off the widow mother's debt, but after the debt was paid off, He provided resources to keep her and her two boys living. Apparently, it's absolutely true. God will take care of you called God's arithmetic. I'm going to give you a little formula. Never forget it for the rest of your life. I'll put it on the screen for you. God's arithmetic. When we add... Let's read this out loud together. Come on. When we add, God multiplies. Isn't that amazing? Keep it on the screen. They kept adding jars. God kept pouring oil. When we add, God multiplies. Mother's giving her oil away, and it keeps coming back in spades, which as it turns out, is Jesus' point. In the Sermon on the Mount, listen to this. Put the words on the screen for you. You'll see the formula, God's arithmetic right there. Jesus speaking. These are all red-letter words in the Bible. Jesus says, give. Okay, that's when we add. Give when we add, and it will be given to you. 
A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. That's God multiplying. It will be poured into your lap. Oh, I love that word poured. It's almost as, as if Jesus had just read this story and said, you know what? You just, you just, you give to God and he'll just keep pouring into your life. He'll keep pouring into your life. You, you add and God will multiply. Wow. When you add, God multiplies. It's God's arithmetic. When the little widow adds, he multiplies. When you add, he multiplies. One more text, just one more. Let me run this by you. Go to, go to uh, the last book of... Uh, well, you were in Kings, so go to the last book of the Old Testament. That would be the book of Malachi, just before Matthew. When we get into the New Testament is Malachi. Take a look at this. Malachi... This is Malachi chapter 3. I want you to see this. The same arithmetic formula is embedded in these words. You'll spot it immediately. This is Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. God is speaking. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. When we add, there it is, jot it down. When we add, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And test me in this, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour, there's that word again, and pour out so much blessing. There he goes again, multiplying. When we add... God multiplies. I will pour out so much blessing, as the old King James reads, that they'll not, you'll not have room enough. You will not have room enough to store it. When we add, he multiplies. How can you beat a deal like that? Are you a businessman? You, could you survive on that? God can. 10%. And by the way, this is amazing because this is God's 10%. Hey, hey boy, I don't have to give you a thing. This is mine. Don't, 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 don't act like you're doing me a favor. This is mine. But no, no, he says, listen, you return what's mine, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you add, and I'm going to multiply. Wow. I'll open the floodgates of heaven. Which, by the way, begs the question, then why? Now, come on, come on, listen, listen, listen. Why am I so hesitant? Why am I so hesitant to give? Why am I so hesitant to return God's tithes? If the formula is when we add, He multiplies. So, okay, I'm going to tell you this. This last week, I sat down. I said, okay, God, I have a blank piece of paper right here, and I have a sharpened pencil in my hand. Let's go. I need to ask you a question. I need you to tell me why this is such a big deal. I mean, I understand this, this uh, nickels and dimes stuff. I understand that. But I want to know why Jesus talked about money and giving more than any other s single subject he ever discussed. Why is giving such a big deal to you? In other words, God, I'm going to assume that there's something hugely beneficial when we do this. But now, come on, God, don't, don't, don't check out on me yet, God. Here, here's the deal. If we are living at the end of time, and dear God, I believe we're living at the end of time. If we are living at the end of time, and you are waiting, as the Bible says, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord all over the planet, I get that part too. But if you're waiting to make ready, to prepare a people, then what place does giving have in this maturing? What, what, what's the Bible called? The sanctifying process. What, what place does it have? I said, I'm ready now. Let's go. And I began to scribble. Now, look, this is not inspired what I'm about to share with you, but it's what I scribbled down. It's on the study guide. You'll have it. 
You don't need to look at it now. I'll put it on the screen for you. Number one, what's the big deal about giving, God? Number one, giving shapes me into the likeness of God who is a giver by nature and a cheerful and sacrificial one at that. God says, come on, I I love to give. What's it, John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave. How about 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9? For you know the grace of Christ Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his riches, through his poverty, you might become rich. He's a giver. And this is my favorite. Do you know Galatians 2.20? I think everybody knows Galatians 2.20. We've got songs in it. I am crucified with Christ. Remember that one? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Now, hold on, hold on. By the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. said, I'm a giver. You want to be like me? To give. The more you give, the more like me you'll become. Give. I'm not talking about the amount. I'm just talking about the practice. The more times you give, the more you're drawn into me. I scribbled it down. Here comes number two. Giving deepens my walk with and trust in God, creating opportunities to cast my cares in trusting confidence on Him. God will take care of you. (laughs) First Peter 5, cast your cares on Him for He cares for you. Please. Philippians 4.19, my favorite of all favorite promises. Oh, I hope you go home and look this one up. Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. I'll take care of you. Girl, boy, give, come on. Let me know that we're partners in this. I will take care of you. Number three, giving declares, I believe, that it all belongs to God as our doxology sings, from whom all blessings flow. God says to the children of Israel, they're just going into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy 8, verses 17 and 18, God says to the children of Israel, by the way, you're going to have lots of crops. You're going to build big farms. You're going to have sprawling estates. But when you get over there, you're going to be tempted to think, I did all this myself. I, I earned this. I worked hard. This is mine. No, God says in verse 18, know the truth. I gave you your wealth. The wealth is from me. It's all mine. And I gave it to you. Remember from whence it comes. And finally, I said, God, number four, here it is, last one. Giving, oh boy, giving in all its forms is the most frontal assault I can launch on my inbred and natural selfishness and greed. That's it. I can't speak for you, but I'm telling you, I am wired. I am wired to look out for myself. I am wired to hang on to everything that my, my little grubby fingers can latch on to. Hang on to it. The day's coming when I'm not going to have it. Hang on to it. I am wired to serve me. Giving is a frontal assault on that inbred wiring to preserve ourselves. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35, if anyone wants to follow me, let him let her deny herself. Let him take up the cross and follow me. For if a man saves his life, he'll lose it. But if he loses his life for my sake in the gospel, he will save it. I'm going to confront selfishness, Dwight, in your life to the core, and I'm going to ask you to give. Now, I know know what some of you are thinking. You're you're thinking kind of like me. Well, I already give. Too late. I'm in. Okay. Hold that thought. I'm going to end with this quote, then I'll sit down. Christ Object Lessons, a little classic on the parables of Jesus. Page, what is this? Page uh, 351. This will will blow your mind. In fact, when I get to the end of it, you're going to say, Dwight, did you have to even read that today? 
What were you thinking of? We were really on a high note until you blew it. Okay? Take it up with him. Here, here's the quote. Put it on the screen for you. Our money has not been given to us, has not has not been given us that we might honor and glorify ourselves. As faithful stewards, we are to use it for the honor and glory of God. And you're saying, oh, duh. Do I, <laughs> come on, we already knew that. You didn't have to tell us that. No, it's what follows. That's the easy... Look at, come on, just, just read, read on. Some think, and Dwight, this is written Dwight's name all over it. Some think that only a portion of their means is the Lord's. When they have set aside a portion for religious and charitable purposes, hit the pause button. That's what I do. I fill out my tithe. Boom. I fill out my offerings. Boom. And then I drop it in that offering plate and I say, God, you go. Good luck with this because the rest is mine. I have thought that way for years. And though Karen and I were having worship about a week or two ago, And we came across this line, and I said, I can't believe it. Now, you need to understand, the line does not say the other... You've been given 20%, 10% tithe, and 10% offerings, maybe. Well, the other 80%, then God is mine. No, no, no. The, the, The quotation is saying, it's that thinking. I'm not asking for the other 80%. So you can take a deep breath now. I'm not asking for the other 80%, but notice what she says... Some think that only a portion of their means is the Lord's, but when they've set apart a portion for religious and charitable purposes, now un- unleash the, unlock the pause button, they regard the remainder as their own to be used as they see fit. But in this, Dwight, you mistake. All we possess is the Lord's, and we are accountable to Him for the use we make of it in the use of every penny, it will be seen whether we love God supremely and our neighbor as ourselves. Huh? That's, that's, that's rather... I know what you're thinking, Dwight. You could have gone all day and not read that. God's not asking for the other 80%, ladies and gentlemen. Come on, brothers and sisters. He's not asking for the other, uh, other 80%, but you know what he's asking me to do? He says, Dwight, see, the, see this 80% that's left? I want you to treat that as mine. Okay? You go ahead and spend it. You go ahead and buy what you got to buy. But I want you to remember, I died for this. I died. I died for the 80% as well. That's mine. Just spend it in a way that glorifies me. Loving me supremely and my neighbor as myself. Ooh, that opens up all kinds of doors for giving, doesn't it? And you say, Dwight, why are you on this kick? Here's here's the deal. I'm going to repeat it. I believe Jesus is coming soon. And I believe what the Bible says. The Bible says God is making ready a people prepared for the Lord. And with all my heart, in my prayer times with God, it just is like a heavier and heavier burden on my heart. Are we as a people being shaped into readiness for the return of Christ? When it comes, it comes just like that. There won't be, oh, now, now let's move into prepare mode. It's no, no. Now is the prepare time. Giving is obviously critical in God shaping me into his likeness. Hey, let me remind you, there are two lakes in Palestine. Two lakes. I'll sit down after this. Two lakes. One lake up north. Give me the name of the lake up north. What's the lake up north? Galilee. Into it, the the melted snows of Mount Hermon pour. What does Galilee do? At the bottom of Galilee, there's called the... What river is it called? Jordan River. And it just takes that life-giving water down, down, down. There's one more sea in Palestine today. And what's the name of that sea? Dead Sea. Do you know why it's a Dead Sea? Because it hoards. Dead Sea keeps the blessings it gets and never lets them go. Dead Sea embraces the blessings and says, these belong to me. And the Dead Sea is, guess what? Dead. 
dead. And I am concerned that if we don't get this giving lesson, some of us are going to lose our souls. Can I just be, can I just be, if you're not tithing right now, you will lose your soul someday. If you continue not tithing and you know that God has called you and you're not tithing, you're disobeying him and you'll die. I'm sorry. That's the truth. If you are not giving right now, all I'll do is tithe. If you're not giving right now, the spontaneous giving, you'll die. Now, look, and I'm talking to a widow here who says, Dwight, I got two kids and no husband. Look, nobody says you have to give like the guy that has portfolios coming out, his collection. But you too must give. The poorest of the poor must give. That's how we become like the great giver of the universe. We become just like him when we give. I am praying for you. I am praying that if this is an area in your life right now that, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to your mind, and trust me, if it's an area in your life, you already know it. That you didn't need me to stand up. I just triggered a memory, and now the Holy Spirit is full-time, full-time talking to you. If you hoard, you are dead. If you hoard, you are lost forever. It's not about raising money. It's about saving souls, and it's your soul on the line, sir. It's your soul, your choice. What should we do? Give. When we give, he multiplies. He could not make it any more attractive than that. Just give me whatever you got. I'll multiply that. I'll multiply. I will take care of you. Just give, girl. Boy, just give to me. I will take care of you. And ladies and gentlemen, he will. Amen. Oh, God, forgive us. Oh, forgive me. I thought the rest of it was mine. It's mine to steward and manage, but oh, God, it's all yours. And why would I be complaining? You have emptied the treasury of heaven. You have offered me eternal life that will never end in a perfect paradise where the heartache that we're living with now will never happen again. You're offering it free of charge if I'll just give you my life and my all. And so, Father, I pray for a people that you are making ready for the return of Christ. Please, let there not be a man in the within the sound of this voice. Let there not be a woman who steals her heart and says, I will not give. I will not give the stuff. Please, dear God, don't let us be foolish on the cusp of the promised land. Teach us the truth and then grant us the grace and the joy of Christ to gladly follow wherever he leads. We add, you multiply, and we are grateful. In Jesus' name, let all his friends say, Amen and Amen.